Howdy, and welcome to Fire and Barley, a podcast about culinary journeys. Today we're talking to Mike Johnson, chef and founder of Sugar Fire, one of my favorite barbecue spots in the entire country, and the newly minted High Point Drive-In. He's got a varied resume, having worked for folks like Emeril Lagasse and Charlie Trotter, and opened a ton of restaurants. He talks to us today about the ups and downs of the restaurant business, and even reveals a secret to a perfect burger mixture, which is not to be missed. Enjoy! All right. Hey, Mike, how's it going, man? How are you? Pretty awesome, bud. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Enjoying the day so far. Excited to get to talk to you and, and learn a, a little bit more about what it is you do. For sure, man. For sure. So I, I found uh, Sugar Fire uh, quite, quite some time ago. I would go down to St. Louis for some business trips and I, I fell in love with Sugar Fire. We would stay at the Four Seasons and I know you are walking oh, distance yeah. from there. Um, so I think I've been going to sugar fire for, I think it was probably about six, seven years ago, maybe. Yeah. It's been, it's been about seven years, seven, eight years on that one downtown for sure. That's, I, I love that store too. So it's, yeah. yeah, it was great as, uh, you know, we have some good, good barbecue as, as you and I have discussed before this here in New Haven, like Hoodoo Browns, but yeah, sugar fire just, just blew me away. It was, it was, oh, thank you. you know, some of the, I, I talk about it all the time. My wife hears about it all the time and I really liked it. So nice. I love Kudos. just you saying New Haven gets me all pumped up about pizza. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, we got some good ones or anything, dude. I'm just, it's the pizza capital of the world. Anyone that ever brings up there, they have the best pizza. They don't cause it's in New Haven. <laughs> it is for real. Yeah, what's the secret? They ferment the dough, right? Is that yeah? What there's, there's, there's something like in the pH in the water or something. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is, but it's the best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, let's we're gonna get to the kind of genesis of Sugar Fire, but I wanna I wanna start as we always start here with, um, you know, what led you to cooking? How'd you fall in love with it? What were your first experiences? Well, when your journey started, growing up, my dad traveled a lot, and my mom was a terrible cook, and so I cook, I cooked a lot growing up. Um, but you know, just basic stuff, box stuff. And it was, you know, late seventies and then the eighties. And so just basic stuff, but I always cooked. And then I worked in restaurants in high school and then in college came around 18 and all my friends were, um, going to college and I just didn't think I was going to be good at college. So my dad was working in new Orleans and he said, um, I have a friend down there that loves this chef and he said, you can go work there. And he's going to be like this awesome chef. So I went down there and it was just, it was Emerald. And uh, I don't know if you remember him. It's a lot of people don't remember him now. Um, no, because I'll bring him up to like the kids and they're like, what are you talking about? Oh, of course. That's royalty. Yeah. So right I worked there, yeah. for him for a few years. Um, I got on real young and really learned everything from him, following him around, watching how he worked. And so that after working with him, he had me hooked. And then um, I wanted to leave New Orleans and he would, he said, where do you want to go? You want to go to, New York, you want to go to LA, you want to go to Chicago. And I said, um, we we're doing a lot of events with Charlie Trotter, who was the big chef in the country at the time. And I said, Hey, I want to go work with Charlie. So made a call, went up there, worked for him. I worked in California for another famous guy. And I worked in France for a while. Um, cause back then I thought to be a real fancy chef, you had to work in Europe to earn your sure. chops or whatever. So I was there for a while. And then I came back and started opening my own restaurants in St. Louis, fine dining ones. And then I've shifted from fine dining into more like, uh, bigger bar type stuff, like but with food, like tapas bar kind of things. 
And then I started to do um, barbecuing all the time, though, always grilling, stuff like that. I always had smokers in the restaurants. And, um, and you know, in Missouri, we eat barbecue like you – like we eat it here like you guys eat pizza there. You know, it's yeah. like like, – because um, I open stores out of states and they, they, they do good, but it's not like in Missouri where it's like nonstop. 20, everyone's like, ah, how are you? That's all they do. Sure. Um, so I, I guess um, I started to sell off my restaurants and – the late 2008, 2009, because they were doing terrible, you know, and um, I decided to give one last shot and do barbecue and I'd open a barbecue spot and just got lucky. Sure. Yeah. So there's a lot there. I mean, I do, you know, everyone knows Emerald, right? He, and this would have been when you guys were at Commander's Palace, right? Commander's and then, um, but I opened the first Emerald, so we're on Chop. So we yeah. was there for at Commander's for a little bit and then over at Emerald's. Yeah, we did. My wife and I did New Orleans uh, probably six months before the pandemic hit, and we did obviously went to Commanders and had the turtle soup and yeah. had the had that experience. I don't think I had ever had turtle before that, so it was yeah, it was cool and an experience. And then we went over to Emeralds for dessert that same night and had oh, like fun. the banana. You go. Yeah, we did like the banana cream pie, oh, which was obviously yeah. amazing and huge and. Yeah, got got both those experiences. So when I, I when I worked there, he legitimately he worked the line for lunch and dinner, like he was on the line. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, really, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah we were just in, we go. To, I I go there a lot still, um, but we were just in New Orleans like two weeks ago, doing stuff. Yeah, what's the spot uh, that's like off the beaten path at New Orleans that we have to check out like next time? Like, um, I like Gotros is one of my favorites. Uh, Brightsons, Clancy's, those are for high end. Those are my three favorite. Um, just like Po Boys, I mean, I'm talking about Domalisas. I mean, I always, I always go there. Um, where else we go? Bayona, Pesh. We went to Pesh this time. It was amazing. I don't know if you've been to Pesh. Um, Koshan, we love. I'm throwing a lot of stuff out there. Uh, oh, that's good. We'll go back. Yeah. We'll listen. We'll put it in the liner notes. We'll do yeah, um, Brightson's. I think is he was big when. Did we go to Brightson's? Did you hear Brightson's? No, we did not. Uh, he's. It's like the old school. It, it's awesome, man. It, it's okay. awesome. Yeah, it's we'll have to check that one out, and for everybody listening, we'll put that in the liner notes. Yeah, breakfast. What did you? Grill. And so, what was what was I mean? Emerald like to work with? I mean, obviously, this is a legend. Oh, the legend legend. all the time. Get everybody pumped up and before service, and you know, at the time, it was probably the most famous restaurant in the country, and there and people were filming movies there. So every night would be like Van Halen's in, or like you know Ted Nugent's in, or something, or something like. You know, they were filming, always filming like, um, they're filming some vampire movies. Like Tom Cruise was coming in and Brad Pitt was coming in. And, sure. Uh, every yeah, like interview with a vampire. Um, Julia Child was there all the time. And so I got to do a lot of stuff with her at a young age, was I thought was pretty cool. Okay. Looking back at the time, I didn't realize how cool it was. I remember one time I'm making some little amuse and Emerald's like standing by me going, you're cooking for Julia Child right now. How does that make you feel? I'm, I remember thinking like – I. You know, maybe I missed it, but I didn't realize it was such a big deal. But now it's like, wow, that's yeah. a big deal, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a huge – yeah, anybody that Meryl Streep plays, you know that's uh, – Yeah, oh, you know really it. important. Yeah. <laughs> and then so you, you left there, and, and that's another one, Charlie Trotter. I mean, that's another kind of legend of cooking. You know, he had his PBS show for – I don't remember how many years. That was such an yeah. influence on kind of the dynamic. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with a lot of his – Say the answer. His like these beautiful books. He was the first one coming out with these big, beautiful cookbooks. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I remember reading, I can't, I can't remember which one, but one of them, and, and he talked a lot about improv, improv jazz, that he liked, likened cooking to improv jazz, and I was so, so taken by that. Did you did you see any of that kind of like philosophy from him? What was he like to... Uh, he wasn't as fun to work with as Emerald. Um, he was um, had a, liked to yell a lot. He didn't yell at me, because I would um, ever, I don't think I got yelled, I felt it one time, but... I remember being a little bit surprised at how he talked to people. That's my first experience with sure. the staff who really like to throw stuff and like fire people like, ah, you got fired. You're not going to scream at them, you know? Yeah. So I was there about a year and a half and I, I just didn't, I wasn't into all the screaming and stuff. I'm not like that, you know? Sure. But yeah, no, it was cool. It was really cool. So I, I think, just in my opinion, a lot of his really cool stuff because everybody that worked there was so talented. You know, a lot of his chefs and sous chefs there and everyone on the line, everyone that worked there when I was there was like big chefs now, you know, or three yeah. years later. So he had an eye for talent for sure. That's great. Yeah. And then so in that continuation of fine dining, you said you, you studied in, in France? Yeah, I worked for a Michelin two-star in France, Le Buisson Dardon. Oh. And um, I was there for about a year and a half. I worked for this guy, Joachim Splichal in L.A., who is a big chef. I love, he was one of my favorites, patina in LA and all those. And I opened one yeah. of the restaurants up in, um, St. Helena. I was there for about a year. Okay. Um, I worked for the best chef. I tell everyone the best chef I ever worked for was Danielle Jolie at Mirabelle in Beaver Creek, Colorado. The dude's okay. legend. he's like the best ever. I think this, he still got Beaver, uh, Mirabelle out there in Beaver Creek. We're still good friends, but he's like, he was like the best chef in Belgium and he came and oh, bought uh, Mirabelle. The food's amazing there. So, are there any considerations towards cooking at high altitude that you experience? Yeah, it's really weird. Altitude? We have a Denver unit, uh, Sugar Fire, and the barbecue is totally different. And it's a learning experience all the time. I, I go there. My kids run the store out there, but it's a definitely different. Everything's different. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's only in Denver. That's not even, even up, up higher in the mountains. So, yeah. It's way different. Ribs, I'm yeah. having a tough time figuring out. I don't know. Cook them slow, cook them hot. Mm-hmm. So just and that's you, you, it, it takes longer in the higher elevation. Like, how does it impact what yeah. you have to do as yeah. a chef and adjustment? Yeah, it takes longer, and um, the moisture. I don't know. Um, we don't really. We're not really spraying stuff down, and um, you know, misting stuff here. But the, up there, I'm, we're constantly having to mist everything. So I don't know. Mm. I'm not a scientist. I don't know. I don't get it. But <laughs> sure, trying to figure it, it out. A lot, of easy, a lot, a lot. Yeah, it does. So. Yep. And then, so you've, you've got all this experience, you're, you're all over, you're in New Orleans, you're in Colorado, you're in LA, you're in France, and then you come back to St. Louis, where you yeah. from St. Louis? Yeah, I'm from St. Louis. Yeah, from St. Louis, my family, my, uh, a really good restaurant came up for sale, and my dad called me and said, I'll help you buy it if you stop traveling around and move back here. And so we did it, and I made the jump and opened it, and it did really good till about, um, I was open 96 to 2001. And after 9-11, fine dining took a hit. Like, you know, like it took this past year or so. After 9-11, fine dining took a big hit. And I, I didn't, I sold it. It's a, fu a really funny story, actually. I sold it to all the employees. Uh, uh -huh. Because they were going to like, oh, once Mike's gone, now we're really going to be successful. You know, and they sold it, went out of business in six months, got thrown out of the building. And then the landlord called me and said, hey, I'll give you all everything back. Can you reopen your restaurant? I said, yeah. So I took it back for free. Six months later, did the same thing again, went out of business again. Sold it. I sold that restaurant three times to the employee. Yeah. 
So it always looks easier from the outside. Oh, oh, oh it's so there. easy. It's so easy. Mike doesn't do anything. How is he? How is he making it like this? Nobody is. <laughs> it's so easy. It's always like that. If you make something look easy, I'm not saying it is. It's the hardest business there is, but. I mean, I, I'm not stressing out and throwing stuff and freaking out all the time. I'm just trying to run the business. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe it's looked easy, but it's not. It's a balancing act. Yeah, absolutely. That's good advice. And then so you, you made that. What was that twist or that turn like going from fine dining to oh, barbecue, man. which I absolutely think is fine dining in my personal opinion. Like yeah. I said, I would eat it every day. But So what happened was um, it was down to one restaurant in like 2007 or eight. And it was a really fun, a busy place called Boogaloo in St. Louis. It was kind of a Cuban and Cajun fusion place. But I had, my dad had taught me into buying a big smoker there that I couldn't afford. It's an old hickory pit. And they're made here in Missouri. And I'm, I'm, now now we have, that's all we use and we're friends with them. So I had a big one of those out back. And it, it started to do really bad really quick. I don't know why. It started to get, the concept was just wasn't fresh or whatever. And I was burned out. And so I sold it, but, and I sold it, when I say I sold it, I sold it where I didn't get any money. I just only owed like 300,000 instead of like 800,000. So it completely took me out. And, um, yeah, at the time I had three kids and I was in way in debt and really depressed and stuff. But the one stipulation from selling the restaurant was I'm going to take the smoker with me. And the only reason I really took it was because it was worth about 15,000. And I don't think they knew how much it was worth. And I, I was so broke. You know, but I'd I'd been doing some competitions for fun and working on the smoker a lot, and then about uh, I went and I took a year off and just, just playing video games and stuff and sitting around the house depressed, really. Mm-hmm. And um, and then about 2010, a buddy of mine called uh, and he owned a property and he said he had a Dickies barbecue that he wanted to move out. They said they hadn't paid rent in four or five months. He said, if you can come over with the rent, I'll just give you all their smokers and all their barbecue equipment, and you can open a barbecue restaurant. And I thought, no, why would I open a barbecue restaurant in a place where a barbecue restaurant failed? Because I didn't know. I thought Dickie was, Dickie's going to be pretty good. I thought it was good. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know understand what the problem was. But anyway, I was like, screw it. So I had um, been working with a friend of mine, Charlie, Charlie and Carolyn Downs. And they, owned, uh, they were always invested in my restaurant, and they owned Cyrano's, which is like the big dessert restaurant in St. Louis and Carolyn's like a famous baker for pies and stuff. And I thought I went and I, we were having dinner. So I said, why don't we do, I'll do barbecue and Carolyn, you do pies. And so it'll be a concept where it's like, you know, really good desserts and really good barbecue. And we'll just do fast casual. I, I thought I never knew that you could make money and lower prices and higher volume. I always thought that you had to have a big bar sales and charge a lot for the food. And it turns out it's after all these years, it was the opposite. And the funniest thing was Emerald used to tell me all the time, feed the poor, get rich, feed the rich, get poor. Well, he doesn't have any fast food restaurants, so I don't know how he knew that. But that saying always stuck with me. And I was like, you know what? I'm a, I was looking at becoming like an EMT and, or even a beach, just moving to a beach somewhere and getting out of the business altogether. And so I think it was like 30 grand I had to give this guy for the, the back rent that they owed. And so we gave him the money and I opened the first sugar fire for about a hundred grand. And, um, which which we couldn't you can't do anymore, and um, I think we did about six million the first year in sales. Like it was crazy, but um, it just went every day. It was like, and I got on TV real early. I, I did a lot of TV work. Um, like after a month, I got on Barbecue Pitmasters, 
I did good. And then I was doing some beat Bobby Flays and stuff. And so I just kept getting more rec- and we went in best barbecue. And when we only had one and I, I was cooking all the time, um, I, I would, so I would go in and, uh, I mean, I would be there all the time. I was never home and I would, uh, like I would season the meat, load the pit, stay there till late, come back at four in the morning, start pulling the pork and the brisket out and start loading up the ribs and the turkeys and the sausage and all that. And then I would go set the lineup cause we have a cafeteria line. It's not like you order and then the food comes out. There's someone standing there cutting your meat, like weighing it and cutting your meat for you. Then I would be stuck in the line all day long. Never, I couldn't even like go pee. It was so busy. And like, cause we would just have lines all the way out, like hundreds of people in line. And, uh, and they don't do that anymore. Cause I mean, I got so many of them that doesn't, it just doesn't, I mean, we'll have like 20 people in line now, but, um, and then I would stay there and I would do the dishes and then I would load the pit up again. And this went on for like four or five months for real, seven days a week. And, um, I just didn't, couldn't quit cause I was broken in debt before that. And I didn't, was never going back. And so I just didn't have it. I mean, I was, t- I was told I had my car repossessed about a week before we opened. That's how broke I was. Wow. So it was, it was bad. And then the car I borrowed from my friend was such a piece of crap. And it was parked out back in the parking lot all week. I never left the restaurant the first week we were open and they towed it. And my friend was like, dude, it's not even worth a hundred bucks. To pay the tow truck guy, you know, but now we're doing, you yeah. know, in 10 years and we have 16 all spread out over the country. Sure. Probably, probably could have had a few more, but um, I have a um, really cool burger chain and a fried chicken chain and some other restaurants, and, the, and they're all sure. take my, my time up to you. You know, we're opening one in Jacksonville here in a few weeks. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was uh, fascinated to see that I didn't realize you guys have a location in Texas now. Yeah, Dallas. I was, I was there all week. I just got back um, Saturday. What's it like opening a St. Louis barbecue place in Texas? How is, Here's the how thing. Um, Dallas is such a big city and there's so many transplants down there that um, they, they love it. And, the th- you know, Texas barbecue is to me is the, it's the best barbecue in the country. But a lot of these places, like you walk in, you come out, you're smelling like smoke. You know, it's so smoky in there and they, you got to walk through the pits and stuff. And they only do brisket really super well in sausage. You know, pork is an afterthought. Ribs are spares only. I like to do baby backs, more Memphis style. And so, like, it's hard to find a baby back in Dallas. Yes, you know, so we do baby backs, and I do um, I do the bris- brisket, like Texas style, but the pork, I'm doing more Kansas City style. And the ribs, I'm doing more Memphis style. And it's just a different type of barbecue, really. Um, the beans, we're world baked bean ch- champion. So um, I do the beans, Kansas City style. They're not, they're just something di- I'm just doing it different. They, you want yeah. Texas barbecue, go to Pecan Lodge or Cadillac or there's mm-hmm. so many awesome barbecue places in Dallas, you know, but if you want something a little different, you know, come to us. Yeah. And, it, you know, Can you tell our, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say we opened during COVID, so it's not as busy as we want. And it's kind of weird because it's more of a, the, our store down there is more nighttime than daytime business, but I think it might be location. I don't know, but it's doing good. So we'll see. Can you tell our, for our listeners that maybe aren't, as familiar, what kind of typifies St. Louis barbecue? What makes it so special and what? Well, the thing is, it's not special. That's what makes it special. Like you have, I, I say we're in the middle of a barbecue triangle. It's like Kansas City. Everyone talks about Kansas City and Memphis and Texas or whatever. And we're kind of in the middle and they do their own thing and they do their thing, everything the same. And Texas does its own thing the same. And so what Sugar Fire being in the middle does, we, I take the best of Kansas City, I think. I take the best of Memphis. 
and I'm taking the best of Texas, the brisket, because if you get you can't get brisket in Memphis and in Kansas City, the brisket's cooked way less. It's shaved really thin. It's more like kind of a roast beefy type thing. Um, I like true like salt and pepper, you know, moist brisket taken to 200 degrees or whatever or further. Um, and most places up here take it a lot less. So it's basically just a, a collage of what I think is the best barbecue. And we do have great barbecue here. Um, there's a place called Pappy's. It's world-class. Um, Beast barbecue is world-class. We have some great places. Yeah. Salt and smoke's a really good one. And when we opened, there was only like one or two spots. Now there's a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah. Both Pappy's and salt and smoke. I've, I have had and did make those trips when I was down in St. Louis. Yeah, they're awesome. And we're all good friends. All, all of us are really tight. You know, there's yeah. not like a competition thing where everyone thinks the guy sucks. We're all help each other out. When I, when I first opened, the funny thing is Pappy's, which is like they won Best Barbecue in the U.S. before. Mm-hmm. And they were so cool. I would like didn't know what I was doing. I remember being four weeks in and run out of pork at like one o'clock in the afternoon. It was so busy. And I called them up. I was like, guys, I need like 20 butts. And they had, loaded up a truck and sent it to me just so wow. I could stay open, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really saying something. That's, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Best friends, BFFs. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I think it's, you've had an incredible journey. Tell the, I guess the last part is just high point drive-in. So now you're, you're, you're talking about yeah. burgers. What kind of, Oh man, the best. It's fun. I love it. I just love it so much. Um, another pretty cool story. Um, there's a great location in St. Louis. Have you been there? The High I Point? have not. No, oh. not that, no. So it's in like the best location ever. And it was, um, Del Taco for like 30 years. And it's on the County line between St. Louis County and the city. And so it was famous. It had a drive through and it was famous. It's touching two highways where like an intersection, of two highways. So it's, it's, it's just the best. And for like 30 years, it was a spot where people would be coming back to the County drunk at like one in the morning and go through the drive through. And, and wreak havoc on the whole neighborhood. So it sat empty for like 12 years. And because, you know, McDonald's wanted it, Starbucks wanted it, and all these people wanted it, but um, the neighborhood had to approve it. And they didn't want anything that was going to be open late, and they didn't want anything that was going to have a drive through And since nobody wants to do anything without a drive through um, I don't know. I, I met the guys that owned the building, and I, we did it, worked a deal where um, it was one of the neatest deals I've ever done. I, they said, We'll give you half the land, but we want half of the concept. And I was like, okay, okay we'll try that, whatever. And, and they turned out to be the best partners ever. And uh, they're, they're the coolest dudes. And um, I wanted to do a fried chicken thing because it fried chick- like it was like what I was into at the time. And it took like four years with permits and everything to get it open. And by the time I had it open, there was like everybody and their mom was doing fried chicken in St. Louis. So I said, you know what? Let's just do burgers. And um, – Man, it just went wild. It's the busiest place. Like, I mean, we do. It's a six dollar burger, and I have twenty thousand dollar days all the time. So I don't yeah. know. I'm not good at math, but it's a lot of burgers going out every That's day. A lot of burgers, yeah, and we have yeah. we have like eight parking spots. You know, so it's, it's crazy. It never yeah. ends. And you know, I we have it's just cool. I got like a spaceship on the roof that's neon, and we have all this cool stuff. I bought the car from the movie Good Burger. For like nothing, I got got lucky and got it and fixed it up. And it's got this, just it's just a cool spot, and we have a bunch of those under. I got we have one downtown right across from Sugar Fire. I opened one that does great. Everybody in downtown St. Louis is gone. They all quit and left because of COVID. Yeah. 
and I'm down there with two restaurants just killing it right now. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm sure yeah. they're going to be back and oh, they're coming back already. They're back, man. They're back. I mean, not yeah. fully back, okay. but they're kind of I'm back. To see the uptick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With tourism, because there was no tourism for a year, no sports, no businesses were down there. There was nothing for a whole year, and now they're kind of trickling back in. Yeah. And I'm, I'm interested. So both, you know, there's, there's this intersection between like, you know, ribs is a trial and error, right? You got to really perfect it. You got to really work at it. I imagine burgers, you know, there's so many different combinations of meat and fat ratios. Oh yeah. Ice blends you could put in it. Yeah. How do you approach like, okay, I'm going to do something new and I gotta, I gotta really perfect it. Before well, I'm ready to um, we, it took so long to open. So we did all the different blends. We experimented with our, our blend now is, I mean, I don't care. I'll tell it's half chuck, 25% brisket, and 25% uh, short rib meat. And that's the beefy flavor from the short rib. Really, you get the beef punch. Uh, the brisket's the fat, and the chuck is the, the bite and the body. And it sounds douchey or whatever, but it's real. Like, we've done all different ratios, and that that's the best one, I think. Another thing, we got to have a super hot griddle top. Uh, so we only buy one brand. We buy Vulcan. But, like, the really nicest one that gets, like, so hot. And, and we have a couple of them. They're big because sometimes we're cooking a lot of burgers. Um, next thing I went into was a bun. You need a bun. And it needs to be, in my opinion, it needs to be buttered and toasted. Um, it needs to have a little crunch. It needs to have flavor. And this potato bun is the best burger bun. Uh, so I basically took Martin's rolls, which I don't I don't use there. Uh, we use Martin's in some other restaurants. I have a chicken chain. We do um, Martin's there. But I basically wanted to emulate a Martin's roll. At the time when we opened, we couldn't get them in St. Louis um, for cheap enough. They were like, they were kind of expensive. Um, they're, they're not anymore. I might, maybe I'll switch one day, but I have a guy making them uh, in St. Louis and he does them at the right price and he's a local guy. So, I mean, we might keep them. We're probably going to keep them. But, uh, and that's it. That's all that it takes for a good burger. It's gotta be seasoned well, you know, and you gotta let it sit in the grill. You can't throw it on there and start playing with it. Put it out there and leave it alone, let it get crispy, and then flip it, put the cheese on, and let it go. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's funny to hear you say not to play with it because I, I, I'm hearing a lot of conversation around smash burgers lately. Uh huh. I'm in a lot of like grilling Facebook groups, and you know, I have very low end, the, a master built 560 that I've been doing some smoking on, just uh -huh. kind of learning on. It's like gravity fed smoker. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of conversation in those groups about, you know, whether you go with the classic diner or the, the smash burger. I like it smash. We're smashed. Yeah. I mean, I eat every kind of burger. It doesn't matter. I'm a burger fiend. And even when, like, I was in Dallas the other day, and we had we ate at Nobu, and um, I mean, I got a Whataburger afterwards just to look at it and take a picture of it. You know, <laughs> bite. Yeah, you know, you get that nice caramelization and a nice reaction when you when you do Dude. press it down on the griddle. That really, yes, it adds something. Yeah, to but I like to smash though. We smash them, let them sit. And I think I actually watched a video from Shake Shack when we first, and that was really helpful. Like early years ago, they had a video on YouTube about how they cook a burger, and that was really what I looked at. And then I watched some like In-N-Out videos and stuff, and I went to In-N-Out. I love In-N-Out. I went there a lot. So, And then we, were other, we have sandwiches there too, so it's kind of a combination sandwich and burger joint. That's really fun. We're popping those out right now. I'm, I got four of them, two open and four of them under construction. So. Yeah. So what's next? Is it just uh, letting Sugar Fire and High Point take over the entire country or world? Yeah, or you yeah I, think so. I would think so. So we have some um, – we got 
And, and the Sugar Fire, I mean, my partner Charlie is kind of run, he runs that. And um, we expand all the time on that. We have a bunch of stuff coming up this year. And uh, Jacksonville is the next one. But the burger one and the chicken one, I have a lot. Charlie's with that one too, but we have new partners that are equity guys with um, experience in Smashburger and sure. Mod Pizza. And so we brought them in to blow it out. So we're blowing them out big time. So those are going to awesome. be... I know it's fun. It's really fun. Restaurants are, are you fun. Looking outside? When you do good, you know they're really fun. When you're not, it's the worst pain you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Are you looking outside the U.S. Or are you, you looking to bring? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, I talk to people all the time. Um, we're not going to franchise the uh, um, High Point and Chicken one until we get enough locations where just to make the company more valuable. Because we started franchising the Sugar Fire immediately. Like we have, there's more franchisees than company-owned stores. And I think um, we're going to do the opposite with the yeah. chicken out and the um, in the high point. So, yeah, that sounds great. Well, I appreciate. It. We're going to do the lightning round. We got a couple quick questions that we're going to ask everybody here that that do the that come on the podcast. So we're just you know don't don't give too much thought. Just your first answer, and we'll we'll rattle these out and and then see what you think. So number one, what's one flavor you can't live without? Garlic. Uh, favorite city in the world for food? Oh, man. There's side travel the world for food. Um, Rome. Rome. Is it the, the pasta that gets you or the, the everything what about Rome? Everything. I just, um, you know, that might even just be my favorite overall city. My favorite city in the it might be New Orleans. Sure. I mean, I work out of uh, Australia where there are several times a year. I'm in Europe several times a year. I'm in Brazil three, four times a year. And uh, New Orleans, I mean, for food, I'm telling you. Charleston's coming up there too. We've been going to Charleston a lot lately. I love Charleston too. I'm going to go Rome. Just the, the pasta is the best. Just everything. The seafood's everything. Everything's the best. Yeah, I pick it up. And who uh, inspires you in this industry? If you had to pick a person who you're inspired by seeing what they do. Who a person. Hmm. Man. Boy, I mean, it's just, I mean, there's just so many different things. Um, I mean, Tuffy Stone in the barbecue business, I, I love watching what he does. He's my favorite. You know, sure. he's so smart and he's so good at what he does. And he does it while being the nicest guy ever. You know, no. I like Tuffy. I mean, I would say probably him. I like to see what he does. And he's always got something new co cooking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, best dish or drink that you've had that you didn't make? That's Whoa. That's the first one that comes to mind. That's a big question. There's probably a lot of good dishes. No, I know. No, we go to um, – every time we're working in Australia or South America, we hit all the Michelin three stars. Oh, my favorite. Okay. Um, I go to Mexico City a couple times a year, and there's a restaurant there called Puyol. And I've actually got a reservation there in two weeks right after Memphis. And uh, the taco, it was mole taco, is the best ever and his mole sauce says has been the same sauce going on for like 20 years like he just wow. keeps adding the pot you know oh sure yeah <laughs> same thing. Like, yes it's incredible the wow. complexity and the, just the layers i mean it's like 15 courses of tacos at that place <laughs> each one is crazier than the next one i'm gonna go and pull you up with mole taco. 
Uh, last two, what's one book, show, or piece of media that you'd recommend our listeners seek out to make them a better cook, better person? Oh, book, boy. Um, man. Or TV show or, or podcast. Like, what do you, what, so just something to recommend to kind of better our, our listeners' journeys? Man, book, there's so many good barbecue books. Barbecue for Dummies, I just read by um, Carrie Bringle. I don't know if you saw, it just came out like a week ago. I, I've already read it. It's incredible. Carrie from Peg Lake in Nashville. Um, he wrote the, you know how those dummies books? Yeah, absolutely. He wrote, he wrote barbecue for dummies and it's, wow. it's awesome. Just came out last week. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. It's I feel awesome. like I'm, I'm becoming a better, uh, barbecue or just, just through this interaction. So this is fantastic. really nice. Yeah. I'm telling you, it was like, really like, I was like, dude, this book's incredible. Like I, I learned a lot out of it. Yeah. Sure. And last question. What's the best piece of advice about cooking that you've, re- you've ever received that comes to mind? Ooh, man, best cooking advice. Well, cook, yeah, cooking advice. I just don't, um, you know, use the highest quality, start with the highest quality product. Like barbecue, everyone says there's all these secrets and some people are hiding. You just get a really high-end piece of meat and you cook it as simply as possible, whether it's low and slow or hot and fast or with minimal seasoning. I like Malden sea salt and some good cracked pepper. I'm, you know, I don't like to play around with a bunch of stuff, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, over the last two months, I've really uh, realized the virtue of just garlic salt. Just oh yeah, and good butter. I'm a butter fiend. I I have um, butter problems. Like I always have six, seven butters in my fridge, and they're all different kinds and from different places. And like I'll I'll fly in my own butter from France all the time. Like spend way too much money. I've got like crazy stuff going on. So butter, butter butter is the best. I think, dude, I eat it all day long. I don't think it's good for me. Spices in life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, thanks for coming on. This has been great. I think we learned a lot. Thank you. Hope you had fun. Cool, buddy. All right, man. Fire and Barley is part of the Sparrow Creative Network. It's produced and hosted by me, Russ Martonis. Our theme music is by the effortlessly lovable Nils Dallaire. And today, we'd like to thank The Rock for always doing whatever the people need of him. We'll see you soon.